What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. How's your fantasy time doing, mate? Oh, I haven't sat here in ages. Everyone's bored of it by the stages of season now, aren't they? That's enough out of you, you whiny limey. That's soccer, not football. Then this is Paddy Power's NFL Fantasy. No season-long boredom, no excuses, and £1,000 in prizes each week. Check the podcast description for your direct link. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nakum Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us. I might coming up very shortly. We are bound to be getting in to that Colin Kaepernick story that's broken over the last 24 hours. Stay tuned for that. We'll look back at Monday Night Football, the game of the season. No doubt about that. What a match. What a performance for both sides, uh, to be fair. What does this mean for the playoff race and the top seeds, the power rankings? And indeed, we'll look at the playoff picture in general. Mike's got a top five as well. We'll get into the mailbag too. So a jam-packed Iron Mike session coming up. We're also going to be hearing from Ben Isaacs, our college resident, looking back at, speaking of the game of the season, the LSU-Bama game at the weekend and the implications that that has both on the college championship picture but also the NFL 2020 draft plus bonus chat for you we're going to be checking in with an old friend of mine Brittany Gilman uh, who is the uh, CEO of BG Sports Enterprises works with some of the very very top athletes both in the NFL in the NBA in football as well European football over here she is a great guest really really interesting chat with Brittany when she uh, dropped by in London uh, a week or so ago so we're going to slide that in as a bit of bonus content for you on the episode today quick bit of housekeeping our friends at Paddy Power Fantasy they set up of course a fantasy league for us competition last weekend with a thousand pounds cash prize pool but you know what they've set up another league for us this weekend uh, cash prizes to be won as well it is free to enter it is daily fantasy so you pick your team on the day or for the day for the Sunday six o'clock game so you don't have to have a team already it is a free hit enter to so get involved fantasy.paddypower.com forward slash league forward slash natcoombs.com fantasy.paddypower.com forward slash league forward slash natcoombs.com lots of you got in touch with us already on social media at the NC show about it you won some cash prizes last week you had a good laugh and I'm not going to comment on just how badly my team did you can wait for my uh, show with OG on Saturday to find out when he is undoubtedly going to humiliate me so get involved with that we'll push the link out on our social channels as well and if you have a look in the show blurb on your podcatcher of choice that you're listening to you'll find a hyperlink in there as well to get involved and get stuck in. Right, let's get the show on the road and check in with Iron Mike.
I and Mike back from the dam in one piece. I, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. And uh, I don't think we want to deep dive into what went down in the dam, although I know a number of our listeners were intrigued with the way that we set it up last week. I was just happy to get in and out of The Hague without being arrested at the International <laughs> Criminal Court. So that, that was that was like a plus for me. It was all it was it was win win for that from for that from that point. Now, here's a test, Matt. OK. OK. I'm flipping a coin. Call it heads or tails. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to go tails. Heads it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope you did do 10 minutes of new material at the damn comedy store or whatever the equivalent yeah, is. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Apparently, apparently, um, Gino Smith actually did did call it heads, not tails. It only sounded like he called it oh, tails. Okay, all right. Thanks for that clarification. <laughs> we'll get into that in a minute. The instant classic, of course, that, that game. I love the instant classic. It is an instant, instant classic. classic. It is instant. But it, it Just it add water. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much the only thing it didn't have, although I'm trying to remember. Yeah, did it rain? I can't remember. But let's get into this Colin Kaepernick story first, things uh, first, because that's broken over the last uh, 24 hours. And it's an intriguing uh, development in the whole Colin Kaepernick uh, situation. Uh, a private workout has been arranged for Kaepernick uh, by the NFL in Atlanta this Saturday. And the press release, or certainly the press information, suggests that all 32 teams in the NFL are welcome to uh, come and check out Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Kaepernick has issued a statement, uh, and this workout will include both physical and an interview as well, apparently. Kaepernick has issued a statement welcoming it, saying, look, I'm good to go. I've been training. I'm ready. I've been good to go for years, quite frankly. But there is an element of suspicion and cynicism, I think, about it, that this is maybe your one big PR stunt. So, Mike, what do you make of this development? And do you buy into the theory that this isn't really any substance to this? It's all just for show. You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of of two minds of this. I think it is both a PR exercise, but it also could have a certain amount of substance. And the reason I say that, I mean, the PR exercise, what everyone's saying is Kaepernick has been around, obviously. Now, this is the third season. He's been available. Um, in October, he sent his agents contacted all 32 teams. Um, he's no Nathan Peterman. We know that, but, um, (laughs) you know, but, but, uh, he's, he's been there. He's put out videos of him working out, all that kind of stuff. He's in, he's in shape. We know all of this. Um, so the NFL basically gave him two hours to respond to this invitation. And, and Saturday's a weird day because it's not a good day for football people. Right. They're traveling to games or preparing for games. Tuesdays are usually when you have workouts for free agent players because it, not only can you look at them, you have the time, but you then have the rest of the week to actually integrate them into your into your club. So, and that's key, it, isn't it, Mike? Because because a lot of this depends on who's going, right? Because it's one yeah, and and G, a lot of GMs won't be able to. Right. Coaches certainly won't be able to. Right. Um, and. But what I look at it as not being a PR exercise. The other way to look at it is that this could be the NFL giving the leagues okay to yes. teams to sign it. Not that there's collusion involved, mind right. you, but right. you know, nobody's given him an actual workout. He's, he's went to Seattle, for example, and talked to them. Um, we heard uh, overnight things, nice things from the 49ers about him, but they never had him back in for, for a workout. And I think, there's there's two things going on here that that nobody seems to be mentioning. One of them they have a couple of people. One is the success of the Ravens, who are basically running 
the same kind of offense that the 49ers ran when Kaepernick was the quarterback and Greg Roman was the coordinator and Jim Harbaugh, not John Harbaugh, was the head coach. But the pieces are pretty much the same. Lamar Jackson does a few things Kaepernick doesn't, but otherwise it's very comparable. And this kind of argument that Kaepernick couldn't fit into any NFL team's offense, which was ridiculous anyway Mm -hmm. on the face of it, but now is being proven wrong because, you know, the, the Ravens have adjusted um, to Lamar Jackson with a very Kaepernick style of offense. And the second one, yeah, the second one is I think Donald Trump's influence is waning, mm. shall we say. Mm. And if he at this point were to make a big deal about Kaepernick coming back into the NFL, which he might well try to do for political reasons, I don't think it would have the impact on the NFL that it had a, a couple of years ago. And I don't think that they believe that the political blowback in terms of antitrust legislation or, or whatever else the NFL taxing the NFL worries about would be that um, would be that important. So I think this coming right after Veterans Day is interesting as well. Sure. Um, just just two days after just two days after Veterans Day. I think the NFL is in effect testing the water on behalf of their teams and they're telling the teams you've got our OK and let's see what the blowback is this week between Tuesday and Saturday. Kaepernick's agreed to do it, obviously. He yeah, wants right. To, he wants to do it, be there. I don't know who's going to do the interview, whether it'll be Adam Schefter or, uh, you know. Um, the reporter that did the Belichick thanks coach. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's, uh, <laughs> um, you could go down you there. Make, you know, you, like you, you know Atlanta pretty well. Hey, <laughs> I love that. I love Atlanta. I, um, I think it's a really interesting point you make, Mike, that the, so essentially it is, to all intents and purposes, for show, but it's for the right reasons that it could have a substantial, significant, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, without, you know, who can analyze what the NFL thinks, you know, mm-hmm. but, but that seems to me to be the thing. At worst, at worst, it's, it's a PR exercise for them, but at best, it's, it's basically them uh, giving their okay, uh, for yeah. Kaepernick to be signed. And remember too, Eric Reed, yeah. um, who was, who, you know, who was Kaepernick's, um, partner in, in yeah. the first, uh, demonstrations and, and his partner in the, um, grievance they filed and won against the NFL. Um, well, they settled played, it. Yeah, settled. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I think we can call we'll it. That. It um, and, um, Reed has now played, this is his second season. And he's been arguably the best defensive player on the Panthers. Sure. Um, you know, so there's no question about their, the ability to play. Um, you know, and that's, that's, um, that's going to be an interesting thing because given that you've got Matt Moore and Josh McCown both signed out of retirement and coaching high school teams, um, you know, there is a need for quarterbacks. Um, yeah. <laughs> although at this point of the season, the need is, you know, barring injury right now, the need is kind of less, less important than, than it was uh, for a lot of teams. All right. Well, we'll watch that as story keenly putting you on the spot. Very quick one. Do you think it is more, or less likely now we'll see Colin Kaepernick back in the NFL as a result of this. More, more okay. likely. I, and I, you know, if someone may sign and maybe the NFL's worried about him signing with the XFL, but I find yeah, that sure. kind of, I find that kind of improbable. Um, I think it's a really, really interesting point. I mean, I, I do, I think it's a very realistic possibility, right? And they want to obviously limit the, the, the hype and amplification and burst of exposure the XFL gets. I don't think they realistically see them as a threat per se. But yeah. Why, that, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, what, what mitigates against that, of course, is that the XFL is Vince McMahon's league mm. and they were specifically being on the Trump's 
side politically, yes. um, you know, and, and therefore anti-Kaepernick and, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and Linda McMahon is, is in the Trump administration. So yeah. that would kind of argue against it. But, but I think the NFL might well see it would be a publicity coup, certainly for the XFL. Uh, okay, let's talk next then about Monday Night Football. As we said at the top, Mike, uh, pretty clearly the, the game of uh, the season, the Seahawks edging the 49ers in overtime. Cap's old side, of course, and two of the big contenders in the NFC, two of the big contenders uh, in the NFC West. The uh, 49ers, the only unbeaten team in the NFL now, uh, relinquishing that record and going into the game. Of course, there was a lot of talk about Russell Wilson and MVP and uh, Garoppolo suddenly stabilized and offense this, offense that. But it was the defense on both sides of the ball uh, that took the props and, and took uh, took the headlines, didn't they? Remarkable performance, and it was a, quite a surreal game in many respects, wasn't it? Oh yeah, and and a game you know that that either team could have won. But I mean, at the beginning of the game, it looked like the 49ers were going to roll, um, right. and and they they played really well on, until you got that. Um, um, that fumble return touchdown that, that sort of changed the complexion of the game, and then. Um, you know, the 49ers came back. They were down, uh, what was it at one point? 21 10. Um, they came and they came back and, um, McLaughlin hit, you know, hit the tying, hit two field goals to tie the game and send it, uh, into overtime and then missed the, the one in overtime, which, which was a shame because they kind of deserved to win. Although uh, this is one of those games where I would argue that they deserve a tie. Yes, sure. And the overtime is probably unnecessary, um, you know, and then we'll hear from America, you know, that the you know, tie is like kissing your sister or whatever. But um, I, I thought it was good. It, it, it didn't have the um, it, it, it was so even. Basically, each team had the, you know, the, the fumble return touchdown. Each yeah. team had a big interception. Um, you know, you had the field goals being important. The yardage was almost the same. Um you know, Seattle won the time of possession, and that's the key stat according to the mouth clowns. So um, they won it by 38 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you were all right. That's, um, uh, you, know, I- you know, it was also not so much of a Blandino as some of the other games. Um, what do you mean? That we had. Um, there were a total of 14 penalties for 115 yards, which which fell well short of the uh, Rams-Pittsburgh game, which had 23 for 202 yards, and the Arizona-Tampa game, which had 20 for 181 yards. When when penalties is the leading offensive player in the game, you have to start worrying about. I know you know my I don't. Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino and Gene Steratore think that refereeing is what people come to watch, you know, on television or in the stadium. <laughs> but um, the, the the best penalty stat of the week, though, was Cincinnati had one penalty for five yards as they were getting crushed by Baltimore. It's kind of like it's kind of like just get out of the way, <laughs> don't do anything. <laughs> Let's look at some of the some of the numbers behind the uh, both defensive performances. Starting with uh, Seattle and the front seven and the pressure they were getting on the 49ers line, because it wasn't exactly a prolific uh, defense in that respect. Seattle is going into this game, 15 sacks going into the game this season, but managed five, of course, and uh, a clowny get causing absolute mayhem uh, in in the mix there. So what changed? Because this is a decent 49ers offensive line, of course. So well, not not so much. I mean, the 49ers have have went eight and zero without basically both their starting tackles, um, and this was the matchup. I think that they um, that the that Seattle recognized they could win, uh, and they did obviously. Um, but 
Clowney was taking advantage. Clowney was taking advantage of that to, to a certain degree. He was completely dominant. Um, you know, you won't you won't see a much more dominant performance by a defensive lineman um, almost anywhere. And I think he's got to be uh, a contender for defensive player of the week. And see, yeah. see, San Francisco was doing something that they don't do all that much, but they were blitzing up the middle quite a bit. Um, Bobby Wagner had a couple of sacks and, you know, he, um, I was sorry, Fred Warner, <laughs> Wagner, Warner. I said this game, it was so even, you know, it's like War- Wagner's the leading tackler on one side, Warner's the leading tackler on the other, the, you know, arguably two of the three or four best middle linebackers um, in the league. So uh, I, I just, I, I just thought that that was in the key in one sense because it, it kept Jimmy G from being really accurate. He was let down a bit by his receivers, but you know, for example, Kendrick Bourne dropped three, I think, passes, but they were only one of them was really an easy catch. Uh, they were ball, and and Kendrick Bourne is Kendrick Bourne. You know, it's it's mm. like one thing to expect uh, Julio Jones or Michael Thomas to go up and make the catch, but you can't. You know, you have to kind of try to make it easy for Kendrick Bourne. And you know, on, on the other side of the ball, you had um, Jacob Hollister and Josh Gordon both making big plays for Seattle, um, either of whom could still be on the New England you mean, Patriots. Yeah, I saw your tweet need, on that. Who, yeah, who need what positions? Tight ends and wide receiver. receivers. How about that? Speaking of uh, which, how important was the loss of, of George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders for the 49ers? I mean, did that fundamentally change the dynamic of the game for you? Yeah, and that was when we got over to offense. That was going to be the obvious thing that, that you point out because Sanders made a huge difference when he arrived, and we saw that last week because he gives them another level of of threat uh which is what they they like to which is what they like to work you notice debo samuel stepped up and had a pretty pretty good game but but without kittle or sanders it it made them very vulnerable to pass rush because they can depend on receivers being open if you know you have more players available to rush if you don't have to double cover anybody and um you know dwelly with the best will in the world is not a george kittle um and uh born is not is not emmanuel sanders so you know i don't think that San Francisco is going to be, you know, think, oh, my God, you know, we, we can't beat this team. I think they'll think we can beat this team with a couple of breaks and our, our best starting lineup. But, you know, at this stage of the season, injuries injuries are a factor. And, um, you know, there's there's not much that you can do about it except try to accumulate depth, which, you know, Seattle, Jacob Hollister isn't their starting tight end. He was mm-hmm. their third tight end, and, and he had to play um, most of the game. And then – yeah, but going out and getting Gordon, as I said at the time, with with DK Matt Metcalf on one side and Gordon on the other side, and Lockett running deep, that that's a dangerous team. Um, you know, really dangerous. Speaking of Lockett, of course, uh, bagged up and the news on him, Pete Carroll uh, making uh, a quote to the giving a quote to the press, talking about uh, Lockett's hospital stay after the game because he uh, stayed overnight in hospital, a leg injury there. But Pete Carroll has said he seems to be okay and uh, they're expecting him uh, back. So not a significant injury there. In terms of the playoff race then, and what this does for the NFC West division in particular, 
clearly tightens it up. Uh, it still leaves the 49ers on top. Uh, that first loss of the season means they're eight and one. The Seahawks improve now to eight and two. Daylight ahead of the Rams, who, as far as the divisional race, uh, is concerned, done and dusted. So it's going to be a two-way shootout between these two. And you're having them as the top two seeds in the NFC, uh, in terms of power rankings anyway, right now. Mike, you got the Packers on a similar record. The Vikings fast improving as well. The Saints, despite that erratic performance, uh, uncharacteristic performance on Sunday, still very much in contention there. So not so much the playoff seedings, but in terms of the power rankings in the NFC, how are you reading what this result does to that? I, I think C- the Seattle... Um is is the team on the rise in the, in the sense that they that the addition of Gordon is a, is a really big one for them if if they can keep him if they can keep him um you know focused and and playing why do you uh, think the pats let gordon go i think they were just tired of the um of the hassles hmm. uh, you know something must have happened at some point that would indicate, you know, maybe he missed a meeting, maybe, you know, something along the line. And given that his contract's up at the end of the year, I think they just wanted to get rid of him. Uh, well, they decided to get rid of him, and then they, they waited. They put him on IR, and they waited um, until they could get rid of him without affecting the, the compensatory picks situation in um, – in uh next year in next year's draft mm. um i having invested all that time in him i would have been loath to do the same thing i would you know but you know it's the patriot way it is it is what it is hollister is another story because he kept getting hurt when he you know and he looked good and and i don't think a, a receiving first tight end was was quite what they really were looking for um after gronk's Gronk's retirement. I think they needed somebody first off who could block, and then they were going to worry about the receiving part of the um, of, of the equation later. But you know, just, just going back for a second to Clowney and Defensive Player of the Week, mm. he's got some competition, and it's ironic and interesting that the main competition is Minka Fitzpatrick because the, these were two of the big acquisitions um, sure. dur- during the season, and and both. Both had a pretty high price paid for them, um, but this is why they were doing. It. I thought Fitzpatrick, um, and we've had this discussion before at Miami, you know, and back to Alabama, where Fitzpatrick was used all over the defense in various formations. The Steelers have put him basically as the free safety, and what they did to the Rams was almost the same as what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl. And Fitzpatrick was the key to that because he was the guy playing the, the so-called robber position where he comes down from that safety spot to fill up the middle. And then he's so quick to to move one side or the other and run support as well as pass support. He was absolutely key, even without the interception um, in that game. And then the other guy in the competition, I think, is Jamal Adams, mm. who ironically was not traded <laughs> during that, that free, you know, at the trade deadline when, when it was rumored that he was going to be and Adams had a brilliant game, but that was only against the Giants. So, you know, that's not the formula for being defensive player of the week. You got to do it in a big game where, where the um, where the attention, where the spotlight is shone on you. You know, Mike, I just want to go back to to one point we touched on earlier quickly because you said the battle in the trenches was was ultimately where this game, if this isn't simplifying it too much, was won and lost. Certainly, Seattle had the better of it, and you, you talked about the Forty Nineers banged up line. I was drilling down statistically on this because 
as you said, pregame, that was picked as one of the keys of the game and uh, and fundamental, of course. And we can often overreact a bit like when we mentioned Drew Brees and, and the Saints, what's gone horribly wrong there? Sometimes teams just have a bad day at the office. But adding those five sacks into the mix for the 49ers O-line, that drops them to 17 of the season. That still puts them in the top 10. If they'd held firm and maybe they were basically a top three offensive line in terms of sacks and pressure going yeah. into... So, is that something that you think if these two do meet up again, particularly in the, uh, in the championship game, for example, they, irrespective of personnel, the 49ers can, uh, can adjust because generally speaking, they've been yes. competent, more than competent yeah. there, but you're, they lost the battle heavily there. You're absolutely right. Um, and again, the adjustment is partly because, you know, this is Shanahan's offense. They like to run a lot of crossing patterns, drag routes, um, stuff that takes a little bit of time to develop, but can be thrown quickly mm. and without Kittle and without Sand that was less effective than it should have been right and that's one way to beat the beat the um beat the rush right. and of course the other thing was because Clowney was having such a good game all on his own um <laughs> right you know I, i'm not i'm not putting down the rest of the um seattle's defense because they played brilliantly and um they were they were fine but with Clowney being so dominant on, on that one side they only had to rush for most of the game um whereas the um the 49ers who also had five sacks of Russell Wilson which is unusual um were were blitzing quite a bit as i said Bobby Wagner uh, sorry Fred Warner coming up the coming <laughs> coming up the middle and yeah. was, i was talking to a friend before the game who was calling me up looking for advice on a bet and the best You're still bet, in Amsterdam at this point. No, I was here. Uh, <laughs> but the best bet I settled on for him was uh, Russell Wilson to get more than, I think it was 23 or 24 yards rushing. Right. And they were holding him in pretty well, but he wound up with six with 53 yards. Yeah. And really, it only takes one or two big rushes from him. And, you know, San Francisco, just once or twice, they lost that kind of um, line, you know, that, that kind of uh, discipline to hold their, to hold their line and not give that tunnel for Russell Wilson to run through. And that's what makes him so dangerous as a quarterback is you can keep him under control, hold him to what wasn't one of his great best games. And he still beats you, you know, one way or the other, which, yeah. which is, um, which is the tale of modern quarterbacks, I think. And it did, it did quite a bit to, um, underscore Russell Wilson's MVP case, I think. Big um, time. He's a heavy yeah. favorite. We can tell your friend that uh, who, who liked the punt that Russell Wilson now uh, the heavy favorite for that one, partly, of course, because of the um, uh, you know reaction. Lamar Jackson's odds uh, shortened heavily after the weekend as well, but Russell Wilson is the, is the uh, box favorite and, and, for that one. And the other team that this augurs badly for are the Rams, who now are going to have sure. a, a very much uphill ch- uh, shot at making the playoffs. Yeah, I think they were, irrespective of this result, they, they were anyway, based on what we saw on Sunday. But yeah, I mean, Jared so, Goff yeah. has been made to look very, very ordinary. You know, I, I used to say he reminded me a lot of Kyle Bowler, and, and that's kind of the level he's playing at. It is coming home to roost. Well, you obviously, I'm surprised you didn't listen to the pod on Monday, me and Greg Brady, Mike, on the way back from the dam, because we were getting into Jared Goff in some detail there. So listeners is going to hit that up if you haven't already. Uh, it Let's wasn't get- available in Dutch. Oh, okay. You'll have to, I'll speak to only the producer and try and get some Dutch, <laughs> Dutch dubbing over. <laughs> subtitles, subtitles. Carlson in, <laughs> subtitles. Carlson in Dutch would be, uh, Something to behold. Right, let's move on uh, to your top five. This week's top five. Top five quarterbacks never to make it to a Super Bowl. I might like the sound of this. Yeah, and that, that's a real tough one, you know. Um, 
because it depends. I, I saw this in two different formats, which drove me crazy. Well, the other way it was titled was quarterbacks to never play in a Super Bowl. Yep. Which then makes guys Ooh, okay. who, who got there but didn't play. Yes. Um, the most interesting of whom is Danny White, who was the punter for Dallas as well as the backup quarterback. So he actually played in the Super Bowl as a punter, but not, not as a quarterback. As a, okay. And then, of course, you're limited to the Super Bowl era. era. So, yeah. I mean – you know, it's one of those situations where I can assemble 10 or 12 guys and, and it's pretty interesting. And a couple of the guys who, who didn't make it in the end, but were, were kind of in the discussion, led me to another curious point. Um, and they included John Hadle and, and um, Jim Hard, who played for the Cardinals. Um, and uh, as we'll see with two of the guys who did make it, there's a kind of Chargers and Don Coriel connection. And when I was looking at the guys, I was trying to look at their sort of career records. And you see most of them had losing records for their careers, mm. which doesn't mean they were bad quarterbacks, you know, um, necessarily. It means they were playing sometimes on bad teams or sometimes they weren't just quite good enough to lift their teams. But, you know, what you get in this group is a lot of guys who are would be in the hall of the very good, say. Um, as opposed to the Hall of Fame. So, <laughs> so just like just quickly, like the, yeah. the ones who came close but didn't make the, the cover, Jim, yeah. Jim Hart and John Hadle, Tony Romo, Jeff right. Garcia, Carson Palmer, uh, Matt Stafford, yeah. who's who's still active, and you yeah. know, um, not that that means he will make it. Um, Dave Craig, who I think gets gets heavily overlooked, um, but uh, was and John Brody, and Brody just kind of inches into that Super Bowl era, um, but but he was a really good quarterback. Um, so that that would be kind of like the second five or or six. Number five, no Hollywood Matt Leonard in that list. Mike. No, not Hollywood Matt didn't make it. Although um, the hot tub, you know, there were I saw a lot of names mentioned because. Um, I, I think Bill Barnwell came out with a list of this this week, strangely he did, enough, yeah. um, by coincidence, as it were. Vinny Testaverde's name gets thrown out sure. a lot. Bernie Kosar, who was a backup Kozar, in, a, yeah. in a Super Bowl, um, but didn't but didn't play. Was he? When, what post Cleveland, presumably? Um, post Cleveland, which he which yeah, which one did he get to? Yes, it was post Cleveland. Um, which team was he a backup for? Uh, Dallas was the Cowboys. What, did he go to? I, was I, that Dallas? Top of my head, I don't remember. I reckon he went to the. I think he went to the. He was part can, of the Emmett Smith. Since I have my notes right backup. in front of me, I can, I can look at I can look at right up for you um, because yeah, I trust came, me. See, I did. I did come You're me. absolutely right. It was the Cowboys. <laughs> 1993 <laughs> Cowboys. You're good, Matt. You know. I do remember this because you're, you're, you're not just a pretty face. Not just a pretty face. I um, Birdie Kozol was one of those defining quarterbacks of, of the era that I fell in love with the game and a hell of a player. But I also I didn't remember it because of that. I, I was reading an article recently about how. Uh, he left Cleveland pretty acrimoniously and wasn't, didn't he, wasn't there a Belichick connection? There? Yeah, it was Belichick was the one who, who basically got rid of him in, in, yeah, right. in favor of Vinny Testaverde, who also, you know, is, is on this, this list. He's on your list. All right. Speaking of which, let's get on with your list. Okay. At, at number five, um, I've got a tie between two guys who don't make some lists. Burt Jones from the Colts because right. his career was very short. Um, injuries and a stupid Colt management. <laughs> That kept when, playing. Was Burt Jones? So, yeah. Burt Jones was in the seventies, basically. Okay. Um, they they insisted on playing Marty Domrez from Columbia ahead of Burt Jones for a couple of years on the Colts. Um, Sonny Jurgensen, who again was a backup for Washington um, when they went to the Super Bowl in seventy three, I think it was. Um, 
played in the playoffs in 74, uh, but not in the Super Bowl. Um, and Jurgensen, strangely enough, is probably the best passer, certainly has the, the best like, relative passer rating of any of the guys on the list. Um, at number four, Warren Moon, who mm-hmm. tops a lot of lists, and, and you know nothing against Warren Moon, who's in the Hall of Fame. Um, but, you know, if you count, he got to a lot of Grey Cups, if you want to count that. Um, Doesn't count, Mike. Doesn't but, count. But, yeah, at number three is Randall Cunningham. Um, the great who, who came within one Gary Anderson miss of a 38-yard field goal, and it was the first miss of the season for Anderson against Atlanta from going to the Super Bowl. And if if he had made that kick, Chris Chandler could have been on our list. And Cunningham is one of the rare cases where a guy who had a really good regular season record um, not a losing record in regular season for his career. He's like 80, 82 and 52 for his seasons. So he comes in at three. At number two is Philip Rivers, who yeah. I may have, may be overrating on this. Um, but Rivers is, is an awful lot like Sonny Jurgensen in the sense that he's a really good pure passer. Um, who holds in the pocket, which hasn't been able to get to the top. And number one is another guy who's very much like Philip Rivers and another Don Coriel Chargers connection, um, Dan Fouts. Um, and Fouts was probably the best pure passer of his era, you know, after Jurgensen, then was, was Dan Fouts, then Dan Marino, I think. And, you know, and pretty, pretty soon you're pretty much up to Philip Rivers as, as guys who, um, are, are pure passers on good teams, but just can't quite, quite get past the last door. Fouts came very close to getting to a Super Bowl, but, um, but, but just couldn't do it. And, um, I think I'm pretty comfortable with him a, as being the number one. Um, I saw Jay Cutler on some lists and thought, why not Jeff George? You know? Yeah, I'm not buying as much as, uh, as you well know. <laughs> a lot of time for Jay Cutler. I'm not buying him on that list. Will we see Baker Mayfield on this list if we shoot for 15 years? Into <laughs> that's the- an interest. That's an interesting one because, um, you know, Mayfield, Mayfield won, although saying Mayfield won is probably a miss. Is a, is a missed title. Uh, the matchup with Josh Allen in that battle of the, uh, the number one first round picks from the 2018 draft. And, and this Sunday, you've got an even more interesting one because he goes up against Mason Rudolph. Well, this Thursday, even. This Thursday, sorry. He goes up <laughs> against Mason Rudolph, um, who was the next quarterback picked after those four guys in the first round in 2018, five guys in the first round in 2018, um, but not till the third round. And Rudolph, and Rivers, uh, Rudolph and um, Mayfield played each other three times in college. Um, Mayfield at Oklahoma and Rudolph at Oklahoma State. Rudolph won, beat Oklahoma as a freshman, but then Mayfield came in in the next three years, Oklahoma won that. But here's my trivia question for you. Perfect. In the NFL, the Mayfield-Rudolph battle stands at what? Stands at what? I, it would help if I understood the question. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's won? When, when the oh, I see. I want the head-to-head in total. Um, well, based on what you just said, Baker Mayfield. It's 1-1, one one, actually. Mm, uh, sneaky question. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry, excuse me. No. <laughs> this is great. Just this edit that out. <laughs> Ollie, this is staying in 100%. 100 this is staying in. So, uh, yeah. are the Steelers at 5-4 and four, an improbable... Hang on, <laughs> Hang on a second. Just <laughs> Take your time. Can we just drop in some music? <laughs> it's funny. I, I sat there yesterday working this all out. But did Rudolph start? Yeah. I'm, 
Okay. I'm not even suggesting no. this. This is 100. And it's a re- it's it's a really interesting thing because, <laughs> and it's a really interesting thing because although Mayfield dominated that, here's the trivia question: Who's dominated in the NFL? <laughs> Uh, I'm going Philip Rivers. Yeah, but and that's just about right. But yeah. um, they they've actually met twice before. Rudolph and Mayfield have split those two games. So there we go. There we go. Love and dropping the heavyweight tri- trivia. Uh, there. Uh, just a quick line before we get to the mailbag, Mike, on the Steelers at five and four, uh, still alive. More than oh yeah, still alive. Absolutely. I mean, could you see, uh, given the way the AFC wildcard race is particularly competitive, is there a realistic chance of the Steelers sneaking in the back door? Do you this game is the huge one for them and for the Browns as well, because the Browns will think they've got an outside shot. You know, if they can sort of have a second half like they did last year. Um, but that's such a tough division um, that it's go- it's going to be difficult to to catch the Ravens. Obviously, who've got the division, you, so you have to think that um, apart from the South, the AFC, you know, the AFC is looking like your divisions are set. Even though the Chiefs, you know, don't have much of a lead right now, you you sort of have to think that they're going to take that division yeah. in the end. So the Patriots and the Chiefs and the Ravens would look like three division winners. Um, then you've got the South and, and then you've got your, your two wild card teams. I think Pittsburgh's got to be in the running uh, for one of those wild cards. And really the, you know, the pit, the, the second Pittsburgh Baltimore game will turn out to be a huge one. Well, I'll stay on the same subject as we get into the mailbag uh, to wrap Mike. Rob uh, has got in touch with us at the NC show. And certainly is how you get in touch with the show. We're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, or Twitter. So pick your poison there. Rob references the Chargers Chiefs game on Monday, which is in Mexico. Of course, Mexico gets a game and uh, potentially a goodie as well. Rob asks, and I'm suspecting he might be a Chargers fan. But let's see what you think, Mike. Can a Bolts win signal a run to the playoffs in the wide-open AFC race? You know, San, San Diego always do this, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I think, you know, I think when they're in Mexico, they really should be kind of called San Diego again, you know, if, if not... For one night only. If, if not, yeah, if not like, um, you know, Tijuana Chargers. Uh, you know, I'm surprised... <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised if 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 the um, Raiders can move to Las Vegas, I'm surprised the Chargers can't move to Tijuana. Um, I'll make it happen, Mike. But, but anyway, um, I I think you can't count the Chargers out. Although, you know, you keep seeing them winning ugly, as it were, and, and you would really like to see them winning a game where they where they sort of dominate and and, and look really good instead of just instead of just sort of hanging in there and you know being pesky and biting at your biting at your ankles and you know and then eventually coming out with with a win in the end i thought that um that Colts game if it wasn't brian hoyer um you know they they're probably uh yeah. they're probably not going to they're probably um having a tough time with that and um you know it, it's funny with it's funny with the chargers because they've pretty much done this for all of the last, what? 15 years. <laughs> yeah, 15 years, whatever. You know, and injuries have been a factor in a lot of those years. But um, the game against Oakland on, on Thursday night yeah. uh, was a good one from their point of view. And, and, and Melvin, you know, Melvin Gordon looked, looked good, um, ran well. And, uh, but, but Rivers, Oakland got to Rivers. And uh, there were 20 penalties in that game. <laughs> three turnovers and uh they they just couldn't pull that off and so i think at four and six it's a, it's a long shot especially because the raiders are as i keep saying limited but playing well 
They're yeah. kind of the opposite of the Chargers, you know, the way that <laughs> yeah. Gruden's got them doing. They're, they're, yeah. they're actually doing what he wants to do um, very well in playing within themselves, whereas the Chargers always seem to be playing either above or below themselves. That is a great – I love that parallel. Uh, two more quick ones for you, Mike. Dean, uh, speaking of L.A. but uh, Dean Blandino. Um, no, Blandino. Well, mind you, it doesn't clear, it isn't clear that it isn't Blandino. So maybe it is. You never know. I know he's a big fan of the show and of yours. Yeah, and I think he appreciates Mike calling a game with too many penalties of Blandino. Dino. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Uh, how serious is the situation in LA? Uh, and he's talking Rams here. Is Sean McVay a two season wonder? So things are unraveling. How worried should Rams fans be about? Well, it, it is a problem. Because, it is a problem because they've hitched their, their, their wagon to Jared Goff. Mm. And since the Super Bowl, Teams are not afraid of their offense, you know, and when they don't have Brandon Cooks as they didn't, um, against Pittsburgh, uh, it, again, it takes away one of those dimensions that the offense depends yeah. on. You know, you, you don't have to worry about the deep threat from Cooper Cup. So, well, there are three was, big factors, aren't there? I mean, you were pointing out earlier in the season to us when we were doing the, the live game on TV together, the change in the offensive line in the offseason. Yeah. You've got a, a Todd Gurley that is year on year. Uh, and certainly, you look at him 18 months, two years ago to now, severely diminished. And yeah, you're right. When you have a player like Brandon Cooks missing regularly, it's no surprise, isn't it? That this that, that's is- it. And, you know, and, and I think it, it's obvious Gurley can't do a lot of the things that he used to do, which, which means you don't have to worry about him so much. I mean, he's still got some power and burst, but he doesn't seem to be able to cut the way he did. And they're not running him out on pass routes the way they did. Um, and the offensive line, I think Whitworth may have reached the end now. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's a veteran who's been there a long time. Um, they don't have, they don't have a great offensive line this year. And, and without those extra threats, it's, it's very hard to keep defenses honest against you. And as I said before with Minka Fitzpatrick, teams have figured out ways to confuse Jared Goff, you know, and to make, make his life more difficult. Um, and by taking Cooper Cup out of the game, which is what the Steelers also did, um, it left him with very little recourse um, in, in terms of offense. And, and their defense hasn't been quite up to level. I think teams, I don't think people realize that Sue's loss would be as as serious as it was, because although he didn't really seem to do much for the Rams, he, he was absorbing. He it, yeah. yeah, he was absorbing attention that made Aaron Donald a little bit more more effective. So, Such a good you know, point. you know, we saw Blake Bortles for one play where he basically was incomplete on the snap. They, they, they ran him on, they had an option run that they wanted him to run, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit more of that. Um, that was my favorite, favorite, favorite play. And we were talking, me and Greg were talking about it on Monday, and then the next play, they wheeled him out, and Johnny Hackey comes in. It's like that. That was, that was pretty awful. I mean, you know, when, when you're running fake punts, um, and you, your punter lines up only nine yards deep, yeah. It's kind of obvious. It's a bit of a tell. It's a little bit of a tell. Yeah. Don't and, play and poker that, with Johnny Hecker. I think you had that brilliant fake punt with, um, Andy Lee where, where they ran, they ran basically, um, they ran the snap direct to the up man who then lateraled it back to the gunner coming from the side. So it was a reverse. And then the gunner lateraled it back to Lee who just stood there watching. <laughs> and then Lee thro- <laughs> throws this pass, which was basically just up in the air, but everybody was like, so shocked by it. Um, I'm trying to remember who the receiver, the receiver comes back for it though, you know, runs underneath it. And, um, 
and then and then makes the catch. It, it was oh, fair it was Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh Cooper. Um, you know, yes, so yeah, so that yeah. was just brilliant, you know. And and that's what you got to do. Um, and Johnny Hecker's great on fake punts. Yeah, but you yeah, can't. Yeah. But you can't make it obvious. And that and that one was so obvious. It, it just it just seemed um, futile. Hey, I've got, I've got a question for you. I'm going to stick one in. Uh, yesterday, playing five aside, playing in goal. <laughs> Rolled the ball to uh, Andy Jolly, one of my teammates, who so took the ball. I must have rolled it about two feet uh, right deep in our half, obviously, yeah? He then went the whole way up the field and scored. Does that count as an assist? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Matt. I thought <laughs> I, I've been saying that all yeah. night. The old basketball rule for assists um, is is that if the player makes the shot without having to avoid another player – you get the assist. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, but the hockey rule is, you know, you get two assists on a play. So you just have to sort of be involved <laughs> in the play. So I think under NHL rules, you get an assist. Thanks, buddy. I've got the Iron Mike seal of approval. So that is good, good enough for me. <laughs> I'm marking it down on my season stats. Cracked work. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash uh, Mike Carlson FM. T-E is how you read the big band's deep diving stylings. So get involved with that. We'll put the, <laughs> yeah, uh, coming off the worst week of my entire career. Oh, really? Picking games, yep, since 2005. <laughs> if it's any consolation, Mike, in my daily fantasy team that, of course, our listeners had the, the show league and competition on Sunday, right? In my team, not only did I have Saquon Barkley, I also had Cooper Cup. I spent about <laughs> a third of my budget on, the, on those things. <laughs> one fantasy point. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's, I mean... What was Sparkly? 13 carries for a yard? Yeah. Barkley got a point and Cooper Cup got zero points in fantasy. fantasy he got one terms. point. Oh, he maybe had a couple of receiving yards too. Uh, yeah. he, it was that play they gave Wayne, Wayne Goldman one carry. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And he gained two yards. Yeah. But as Brian Baldinger pointed out, there were only 10 men on the field for the defense. And when you watch the right tackle, the play was running between right tackle and right guard. There's no left defensive end. And the tackle is just kind of looking around like, who do I block? (laughs) And they still only gained two yards. Loving your work, Mike. Uh, Welcome back uh, from the dam. And uh, as I say, Mike Carson, FMT on the Patreon site is uh, get involved with that uh, terrific writing uh, and more of what you've just heard on today's show. Now, next week, we've got a fun one because we're going to be recording live on location. Live. Uh, goes to plan uh, at the NFL Academy and uh, Jerry Rice is going to be there and uh, plenty of other interesting people to interview as well. So we're going to do our a midweek show from there, Mike. And, uh, and that's going to be great. I haven't seen Jerry Rice since we did that game at Wembley many, many years ago. I'm sure. I'm certain. In fact, he'll remember. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing you there, buddy. Um, we will uh, enjoy the weekend and we'll see you next week. Okay. See ya. Cracking stuff from Iron Mike. Now, before we check in with Ben Isaacs, don't forget our friends at Touchdown Trips. TouchdownTrips.com. If you are fancying a little trip stateside, get a, a college game in before the season's done, bit of high school action, or of course, there is still plenty of NFL to be done. And if it's not just the regular season, if you fancy some playoff games, well, how about Miami? We're going to be there in Miami. So uh, head to TouchdownTrips.com. Why not go and treat yourself, treat your family, treat your friends. It's Super Bowl time. It is on your bucket list. This is the time to do it. So go and check out touchdowntrips.com. They are the best guys in the business to help you get sorted for your gridiron trip state side. Right, let's get into some college football now and look back at that fantastic LSU-Bama game with our friend Ben Isaacs. Ben Isaacs, always a pleasure, particularly after we've just witnessed the game of the century. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's lived up to the hype. It's better to say. 
<laughs> One of the great things about college football is it has a game of the century every single season. <laughs> or at least that's what that's what the media would have us believe each time. So the sports go to LSU, 46-41, uh, the win. So as we expected, uh, a bit of a shootout. It seemed to be fairly polarised opinions going into the game, Ben, about which way this one was going to go. For every article I read that said, yeah, LSU will give them a fight, but ultimately this is Bama's game. Uh, to lose, there was a contrasting opinion. Where were you? Because we didn't get the chance to talk to you ahead of the game. Were you expecting LSU to put the win up? Was it impossible to call? What did you make of it going into the game? I felt it was a coin flip game. Um, I, I had various people asking me on Twitter because on a, on a Saturday lunchtime, I, um, I put up my kind of games to watch for that day that will take you kind of from start to finish. And people always ask me about who I think will win. And this, this time in particular, people were saying, you know, it's like we've, we've seen this movie before. LSU are highly ranked. They go to play Alabama and they get found out and that's it. Alabama wins. And I, I said at the time that I thought Alabama would probably win they were at home um but if anyone was going to give them a game in the regular season it was going to be lsu they were they were kind of built for it because of this offense and although i'm not that surprised that lsu won i'm surprised with the manner of victory so they won 46 41 but i personally don't think it was as close as that it didn't feel like a five-point game yeah yeah they had you know they had a 20-point lead at half time and the thing is is all these lsu alabama games they all come down to defense stifling defense and eventually one there'll be one offensive play that kind of makes the difference but with this it was all offense and Joe Burrow I can't think of a quarterback who's come from such a kind of it's not that people thought he was a terrible quarterback but nobody was thinking about him as being even drafted in the first three rounds and now there's talk of the first three picks he's easily the front runner for the Heisman Trophy Mm. he took Alabama's defense apart and admittedly this has not been a def- this year's Alabama's defense does not rank up there with ones from recent years but this is still Alabama this is still easily one of the top teams in the nation and Alabama were not great certainly but I don't think there was much they could have done or anyone could have done to stop LSU's offense which may be the best in the country right now it looks it doesn't it and and what does this mean for Tua's stock which has fallen you know quite significantly since the start of the season, certainly since the early stages of the season. And we spoke a few weeks back, Ben, and suggested that in the clickbait, semi-hysterical, reactionary, uh, regency-biased generation that we're in, a lot of talk of two and not going number one was a little bit overhyped. Is there a little bit more credulity now in the fact that maybe he won't get drafted number one overall? A little bit, yeah. I mean, Obviously, he was not at his best on Saturday, and how much of that is down to the injury he sustained a couple of weeks ago, I don't know. Mm. His stock has fallen. I think most people, if they were going to draft any quarterback from from this year's class, they would go with Tua. But it's no longer as clear-cut. And How much of that know, depends on the... Obviously, it depends on the offense to, to a significant degree. But in terms of... Uh, let's just take for, because we would discuss this in relation to say Lamar Jackson and, and that draft class, right? Lamar Jackson is clearly performing better than any other quarterback drafted in his year, but it doesn't necessarily stand to reason, although after this weekend, uh, I think maybe he'd fit it anywhere, that it, he is going to be the best fit for a certain type of offense, right? You know, sure. it's a certain, his, his start of play fits it in particular what the Ravens are trying to do is Mike was only too eloquently describing a little bit earlier on. So weighing the two of these up, is Burrow the more realistic all-round fit? Prototype. Yeah, I guess a more realistic fit for the majority of NFL offenses. Um, 
Possibly, you may have to make some sort of concessions to two. I think two has got a much higher ceiling than Joe Burrow. I worry a little, little bit about Joe Burrow, and I certainly don't want to bring this uh, back to Mitch Trubisky. But Mitch Trubisky had basically one really good college season, mm. whereas Tua has had multiple and has been, you know, over the past few seasons, if you put yeah. it all together, has been yeah. the best player and has been getting better. I think that is hugely important. I mean, we've seen so many. I remember when. Sanchez came in and I know that he had relative success early on with the Jets, right? But he only had one seat. I think he only played 16 games at USC, right? So it's, it's always worth looking back at how many games a quarterback has started at the college level and that experience. You think you, you, they finish high school and then they might be in college for three or four years and only play, say, 16 games. Right. That's not a lot of on-field experience. Right now, I'd take, I'd take to it, even if, even if they were completely identical, kind of looking at them, I'd say his experience puts him puts him up there now the lsu coach uh, ed orgeron um he is a mm, feisty character i think it's better to say um, uh, he's my favorite coach in college football <laughs> he look him up if you haven't seen him and uh, look him up particularly look up his uh pretty t- crazy rant that he went on uh was it before or after the game presumably it was ahead of the game to get the because i'm looking at the yeah. tense he was using we're yeah, going I- to beat their uh, we're going to, actually, maybe, let's think, uh, following, uh, I told him the locker room. Yeah, it was after the win. I'm just reading the report here. So after the win, there's footage of him absolutely, uh, fired up, understandably, after a sensational performance by his team. We're going to beat their, insert exclusive here every time they see us. You understand that, in case anyone wasn't clear. Roll Tide what? And then, exclusive you. Um, so, uh, look him up. He is, um, it's interesting. When we get ready for the podcast, Ben, as you well know, this is exactly how <laughs> yeah. Ollie, Ollie gets us fired up. A really similar kind of motivational he's, rant. He, yeah, he's hitting us on the shoulder pads. He's pushing <laughs> us against walls. He's, he's really firing us up. I mean, we'd run through brick walls for Ollie. And this is how this is how the players are for uh, Coach O, as he's popularly um, known. Now, the thing is, he did go on what people would like to say, kind of like a foul-mouthed tirade against Alabama. It's, this is just the sort of thing that coaches do. This is not for outside consumption. This is just something to kind of G up some teenagers who just need to get G'd up and realize kind of like how big this occasion is. Now, um, I've got... I've got can come back to autobi- I'm with you on that. And look, you know, coaching hyperbole fired up a motivational speech shocker. I get that. But uh, is it going to come back to haunt them? Is it the kind of um, thing that you were looking at thinking, oh God, why has, why have you done this? I mean, or rather, it, it's a really interesting point you make actually because coaches do this. So the fact it's been released and the fact that it is now everybody's talking about it, he's getting asked about it. And therefore people are joining the dots and saying, oh, you're, you're writing off Alabama. This could come back to haunt you. But at the same time, what are you supposed to do? Just tap everyone on the back and go, well, play guys and, and leave them. Yeah, no, I mean, the, in the entire, in all of college football, but especially within the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, Alabama's shadow looms large. Mm. And LSU have been in that shadow. Auburn have been in that shadow. Georgia have been in that shadow. And these are teams that if they were in another conference, maybe the runaway winners. And they just have to deal with that. Now, I think you have to tell these players, yes, you are better than Alabama. You've beaten Alabama. You are better than them. Forget them. They're old news. I don't think you can say to them, oh, okay, you know, but with, you can't have let them have that inferiority complex. And I think teams in the SEC have had that. Now, Coach Coach O 
is a big personality. If, if this rant came out and I just saw the transcription, I didn't see what teams were involved. I would put him up there as one of the people most likely to do it because he is such a fiery character. He's an, inter- he's an interesting guy. If you've um, read the book, The Blind Side, he's heavily mm. in that. He's, um, he's the most Louisiana person you could possibly meet. Um, everything, everything that seems to come out of his mouth is some sort of kind of like country style, deep south cliche. And his dream was to coach LSU and it didn't look like it was ever going to happen. And it happened and things didn't go quite right. And it was like, is he going to get the boot? No. He's thrived. He is the embodiment of that team. He, to me, is LSU football, not Joe Burrow. None of those players. It is Coach O. They have his personality. He's put his stamp on the program. They are so full of pride. They hate Alabama. They hate everyone else in the SEC in a really nice way. Like These are teams that have been playing each other for a century. They constantly want to beat each other, these amazing rivalries they have. And I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with what he said. I think he should slag off Alabama to his to his players it's a shame it came out i think the player who put that out there clearly feels like oh i made a mistake i don't i don't think this will bite them i think if alabama come back and win it it won't be anything to do with this and he won't change kosho will never change and dear god i hope he never changes you know what if uh, we're looking for motivational speeches to rank on a par with what coach o delivered at the weekend ben what you have just delivered over the last <laughs> 120 seconds. We're going to clip that up and send it to Coach O. He can yeah, drop I mean, that in the locker room next game. What, what we mustn't let the public hear is when, um, is when Ollie, our own Coach O, when mm. he's getting us fired up, when he is really going to town on other rival podcasts, the things he says about the other podcasts, My it God. would just, it would make your hair turn white. I, like, I, it, the public I, mustn't hear it. it. We mustn't hear it. That is, that will go to my grave. <laughs> Some of the stuff that. And of course, Harry, our producer, uh, uh, Harry, that producer banned from giving any uh, motivational speeches for, for reasons that we can't get into legally either. <laughs> well, I mean, so, I think he'll be exonerated one day, but for now, he's got to keep away. <laughs> Let's get into this weekend on ESPN Player. What have our listeners got to look forward to, Ben? Um, I think you want to see Alabama bounce back. They're, they're at Mississippi State at five o'clock. That's, that's a really good way to start your afternoon, as well as Penn State hosting Indiana. Penn State should win comfortably but they lost their unbeaten they they lost their unbeaten record um of course after losing to Minnesota on Saturday Clemson who are now ranked at number 3 they're hosting Wake Forest I really want to see Clemson have been really good all season apart from one game that they almost lost but they still aren't playing anyone good Wake Forest lost last week it's a shame because they were they were ranked ahead of that um a really fun team to watch is Kansas State 8:30 uh they're hosting West Virginia that's a nice one um and then later in the night at midnight LSU at Ole Miss Edo was a coach at Old Miss. That's going to be a good one. I, you you need to watch LSU right now because you don't want it to be that if they win the national championship, you you haven't you seen them. See I wonder if we'll get a pre-game locker room cam <laughs> as well. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, obviously he's in a WhatsApp group with us, so we'll hear about it. Um, <laughs> maybe the best game is at is at twelve thirty. Um, Baylor are hosting Oklahoma. Baylor are ranked number thirteen. Oklahoma at number ten. They're both in the Big Twelve conference. Baylor are unbeaten, but they're not as good as Oklahoma. If Oklahoma lose this, then their season is done. If Baylor win, they could put themselves in actual contention. So that's really intriguing. And if you can stay up, three thirty. Uh, Oregon are hosting. 
Arizona, Oregon. They lost the first game of the season. I've, if listeners might remember we were talking about they lost to Auburn in the in the biggest game of week one, and it's like, is their season now over because they've lost what's probably their toughest game? Will they bounce back? And they've really bounced back. They've looked really nice. So out of all the one loss teams, they might be in the best position to sneak into that top four mm-hmm. and make it into the playoffs. So if you're up at three thirty, that's what you need to be doing. Love anyway to just stay up forty eight hours straight, watch college and NFL. That's I actually, mean, that's how you like roll. It, it would it would be a good idea because I mean, ESPN play has games almost every night right now. There were games on last night. There's games on tonight. There's games Thursday night, Friday night. It is when you get to this point of the season, it is a seven day a week sport. You've got live games every night, so well, you know not to love. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if people have got anything to get up for. Why not just stay uh, up all night? Nothing or, more important, surely. Or, of course, you know, don't watch the games. Get up the next morning, avoid the scores, and then just watch them on demand. They're all there. Sneaky, sneaky. I like it. Benny, great work, man. We'll check in with you soon. Cool. See you soon. Fine work for Ben. We're going to keep the guests coming thick and fast. I mentioned at the top of the show, she's an old friend of mine. She's been on pods I've done in the past and is always a really, really interesting guest. Today, this week, this episode is no exception. She works with some of the top names in the NFL she is super connected, super sharp. Delighted to welcome to the Nat Coombs Show, Brittany Gilman. Brittany, how's life? Oh, you know, busy as ever, running around the world and trying to make things happen. It's a hard knock life. <laughs> <laughs> and coming to London, uh, of course, for uh, uh, lots of things, but but the Texans-Jags game, at Wembley, uh, what what did he make of it? Here we are now, what, 10 years plus into NFL London. What did he make of the whole experience of a game in London? You know, I've really enjoyed it. I always enjoy coming to London and seeing how the NFL does the NFL in the UK. Um, it All the games, yeah, I was lucky enough to go to two of the games um, this year. And every time I go to the games, the stadium is packed. There's a ton of crowd participation the wave comes around the whole stadium in the fourth quarter about 20 times and people love it and it's just it's really cool to see the experience really come to fold and how much fun people are having at the games you know i agree with all of that apart from the wave (laughs) call me me a kill jay i hate the wave i don't want the wave i think it's I think it's ridiculous, but for whatever reason, I say it <laughs> sure. once or twice, and then I, I sit down. I'll just put my hand up the rest of the times. The reason I hate it is because um – and my kids hate me for hating it, by the way. They, they look at me with absolute consternation that I'm not getting involved. But the um I guess there is still a, a narrative, and I, I, I deal with this firsthand, that in America there is still a sense that 80,000 people are going to watch a game. Eh, they kind of understand roughly what's going on. They're curious. I, I kind of get that from, you know, 11, 12 years ago. But now, surely, there, there, there must be a sense of, okay, there's a literate, smart fan base over here. But I still think there is, is, is a bit of confusion in certain quarters in the States. Is that fair? And, and, the, and the way, for example, just underlines that negative perception a little bit. Yes, that's completely fair. I think it um, obviously depends on the particular person. I've been to, you know, games where I've been sitting next to people who have absolutely no idea what's going on, who are there for the first time. And then I've sat next to people who are diehard fans and know everything about the players and everything about this game. So it really just kind of depends on who the person is. But in general, I would say that there is 
a much greater understanding of the game now than several years ago. Brittany, you know, you have been involved in sports both as an athlete and obviously in different roles within sports marketing and representation. And you deal with sports from lots of different uh, different disciplines, athletes rather from lots of different sports and different disciplines. With the NFL's international expansion, I know the NBA is is you know going great guns as well in that respect. The diplomatic incident with China, notwithstanding, and uh, you've got you know NBA doing a game in Paris early next year, and so and of course we had the Red Sox Yankees in London starting to move Major League Baseball a little bit more further forwards in terms of international expansion. But the NFL is light years ahead of the others, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. But you got to look at the consistency that the NFL has maintained over the past 10 plus years in terms of building the sport internationally. Mm. And there's, there's multiple games. So four games consistently and the amount of money that they put into marketing and advertising, such as if you go to Oxford Street or Regent Street and they have the banners everywhere and there's just, it's a end of the day. I really think it's about the money that they're putting into the advertising and also the, the consistency, you know, the fact that they're coming every single year and they're really focusing on building the fan base over here. And also they launched recently the, the NFL Academy, which is yeah. tremendous. And, um, I think that really will open the door to having more young athletes participating in the sport and realizing that maybe I'm not going to play football, but maybe I could potentially play NFL. So I think that really cumulatively it all adds to the the pretty decent growth relative. You know, it doesn't compare at all to football, football, but it's mm. slowly, it's a toddler. It's probably walking. <laughs> Adolescent. <laughs> yeah, start to get to, yeah, slightly difficult adolescent. What would you recommend? If you were advising the NFL in a, in a sports marketing capacity, what would you advise the NFL to do next? To, to try and get a franchise, and it would be a relocation, wouldn't it? They're not going to expand. So to get a franchise to move to London or just to increase the, the volume of regular season games that we have? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, first and foremost, if you move a franchise to London, then it's going to be even more consistent and in your face. So if we talk about the fact they've been doing this for so many years, now if you move a club over here, it's going to be a full season and you're also going to be exposed to different of different teams from the NFL. Now, there are certain NFL teams that will not come over to the UK because obviously they have to give up a home game. Sure. The Patriots, the Cowboys, that's Pack, going to be yeah, an issue. Packers are not, not going to come, are they? But yeah. on that, but having said that, I mean, do you think the big challenge, I mean, I know there are lots of different questions about uh, logistics and uh, tax and the financial implications and convincing players that they'll, you know, have to travel, relocate thousands of miles at least for a, for a while during the year i get i get all of that but from a fan point of view do you think it's a ga- it would be a gamble in so far as there are so many nfl fans that already have a team and so to adopt a london team as well as a second team is a bit messy and if that team say goes you know like as bad as the bengal's are this year for example and you know that 0 and 8 0 and 9 and it's going to be hard to sell tickets then is it an easier sell from a marketing perspective do you think just to bring six seven eight regular season games over so london gets or the uk gets the same amount of football it's just perhaps less less of a risk well i mean i think part of the reason that the games are pretty packed consistently is that there's limited games to attend and it's a bit of a it's something to do 
um, obviously we know how much people love their sports out here. So now we're introducing America's one. Well, there's several of these in America, but probably one of the most popular sports in America that's present here. So if you increase the amount of games, then it's going to make it more available, right? So that might make it more difficult to sell out every game and fill in the stands. But, you know, on the flip side, if it's all about the consistency. So now if you have a team and maybe you have a person who is not a fan yet, who's kind of skeptical, now you have a team that you can actually claim as your own. And loyalty that I've, I've experienced that loyalty in terms of sports clubs that people support out here is, is tremendous. So if you give people something they can attach to and actually feel as though they're a part of, then that in itself will develop the fan base. Now, it would take many years, I would say, to yeah. really, truly develop those fans. So it's not going to happen in one or two seasons by any yeah. And I, I suppose there are, there's a precedent there in the, in the States. If you look at relocation, say to LA, a lot, most people from LA or in LA are not from LA, right? As the saying goes. So <laughs> you have a lot of fans, I guess, who've come from all across America and, but will adopt an LA, you know, go and see the Clippers or, right. or the Dodgers, even if they're not necessarily there, the team they were born with. But that's quite an alien concept to Brits as well, I think. So that, that right. I think would be a hard sell. What would you say is the challenge now moving on to, to players and, and your role? advising players and advising athletes would london be an easy sell or a tough sell do you think i think it depends on the individual player it depends on does he have a family how old is he you know what where's he at in his career i think that it would be an easy sell in terms of someone who is still fresh in their career maybe one or three years in that you basically are saying look you have the ability to part of, to be a part of something absolutely tremendous never been done before and you're at the forefront of it and you have an entire market that's untapped. So that to me, to the player, I think it'd be an easy sell. Now, if it's someone who has been in the league, you know, six, seven, eight years, has a family, is established, that's going to be a much, a lot more difficult to, to sell it to them. You know, you're always going to be able to say you have this untapped market and so much potential for growth and also, you know, the ability to be a worldwide brand, not just American based brands and that's very appealing, but it's, you know, it's, it, that's a move. That's quite the move. It's not like you're just moving across the state. You're moving across the world. So mm. yeah, it just depends on the individual. Do you get a sense that the NFL and the owners specifically want this to happen, want a London team, or do you think they're undecided at the moment? What's your, what's your instinct on that? I think it's a combination of both. Because if you look at the fact that the Cowboys, the Patriots, they don't, they won't come over to London. So the last thing they probably want is to have a team over here that they're going to have to come and play if they're in the same, you know, conference. But, um, but I both, think, of the, both of them have come, haven't they? They just don't want to give up the home game. That's, that's, well, yeah, the, the home game. Sorry. I, yeah. yeah, I stand corrected, but I, I know that it's, it's very difficult for teams. It's not an easy, easy trip. You know, it's a lot yeah. of time. You have the jet lag you're dealing with. Most of the teams are coming in on like a Thursday. Yeah. And then the guys, some of these guys have never been overseas. So they want to go out and experience the, the city and they have, you know, oh, your curfew's at 10. <laughs> so it, it's kind of like a catch 22. So I think that again, it just depends on the, the team and, and really what the team themselves are going to get out of it and the, the, what they're going to have to go through to be a part of it. So I think it's kind of a split, a split decision. Um, you know, if you look at the entire league and all of the owners, it's definitely, there's not one, you know, consistent 
thought that everyone's agreeing upon. Um, but it's, you know, if they want to, if America wants to take the NFL worldwide, it needs to be done because all these NFL games over here, they're fantastic, but it only does so much. And if you really, really want to build and to grow, you're going to have to have teams in other countries for that to happen, mm. in my opinion. Well, uh, let's move on to, to football. And, of course, you deal a lot with uh, athletes from that space as well, right? So do you think flipping it on its head and looking at the uh, the diametric opposite of, of the Premier League in particular, obviously La Liga is, is – uh, Looking at the states too, and uh, you'd imagine other other European leagues will do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we're going to see more and more, and in the Premier League's case, a first, a, a, you know, a, 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 an initial game, regular season game, a game that matters, played in in the US? Because I, I'm quite surprised in some respects that it hasn't happened. And whenever this it's announced or rather discussed over here, there's a huge amount of resistance. This idea of it. why would we take a game over there? But the more that the NFL and Major League Baseball comes over here, and and it becomes a a, a, a standard part of other sporting leagues, is it just inevitable that the Premier League will do it eventually in the states? I think so 100%. I mean, you look at the amount of tours and the matches and, you know, the friendly stuff that's been going on the past few years, and it's, it's only increasing. And right. on the flip side, those games and those matches draw tremendous attention. So mm. end of the day, this is a business, and the owners want to make money. Players want to make money. So where are you going to make money you can't just do the same thing over and over and over and over. You really have to move with the, the changing times and adapt and be innovative. And that type of move would be, I think it would be tremendous. I completely understand the perspective that people don't want to take their sport over to America, but there's a lot of games during the season. So, <laughs> so a couple games internationally. I mean, who knows? It's a it's, league cup. We'll take a, a Carabao Cup game over, like a second a second right. round Carabao right. Cup. But that's part of the problem, though, isn't it? You got to if you do it, you've got to bring the A game in terms of the players. I mean, this right. was always the issue with NFL Europe in particular, or the exhibition games that we had back in the day. It just wasn't, you know, you didn't see any of the stars. It was just uh, you know the backups. So if we if we do it, you've got to you got to take. Uh, you know, take the A-listers over. Do you think that there's obviously an appetite for football in America and, and it's a changing country, right? So that's only going to continue to increase. Do you think that it will, where will football uh, end up, say, in 15, 20 years in the States in terms of the, the pecking order of popularity? I think it's it's going to be at the top or if not at the top, it'll be very, and it's already very high up there, but you know, the NFL is having a lot of issues mm-hmm. and the safety issues, the the contract issues that there's a lot of stuff going on in the NFL that is going to continue to gain momentum. So if you look at football and, you know, it's the most popular sport around the world and, and how many kids play football around the world in how many different countries, I think it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. The, the popularity of it is growing tremendously in America and you see more and more. Premier League games being televised on our main sports channels. I can, I mean, I turn on the TV on a, you know, a regular day and I'm like, whoa, there's a game on. If I'm not <laughs> the schedule, you're like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. You never saw that in the past. You would have to get a special channel or go to a sports club, bar, whatever to watch the games. And now it's just much more accessible. So I only see that trend continuing to increase. Now, Brittany, you've been on uh, on my pod over the years, you know, a few times. But since we've moved to ESPN, this is your your debut appearance. So, 
one question I've probably got into with you before, but um, for the benefit of our new listeners since we moved to ESPN, your role in what is still a very male-dominated world, and you know, you've, you've really been a real trailblazer there. So Phoebe Schechter, of course, was on our show earlier this season, and it's remarkable what she's achieved in terms of uh, breaking down barriers in, in the NFL. But you were there before, right? You were on Pete Carroll's coaching yeah. staff at USC back in the day. And, well, that um, me now. <laughs> not that far back in the day, just a little bit back in the day. A little <laughs> bit. As, you were very young at the time. And the, you know, you, you kind of maintain that uh, in, in terms of how you've parlayed into uh, athlete representation in all its different ways, which is still very much, isn't it, a male-dominated uh, world and, and obviously dealing with some very big, uh, strong characters from from different sporting worlds. It, it, it's a it's a tough gig. Have you noticed it changing at all? Changing for the better in in recent years, or is it still you know as as tough to navigate as as ever before? I think that for me personally, you know, now that I've been in the game a minute, I, I have established relationships and a established reputation and. Um, you know, I don't run into all of the same things I ran into when I was first starting to break in. But for me, when I first started building overseas internationally, it was very challenging because no matter what I could say about my work in America and saying, oh, I've worked with Ezekiel Elliott and blah, 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 all these people, they had no idea who they were. Mm. So it was almost as if I had to kind of start fresh. And the second time, I guess, or even the third time, if you look at the steps I've taken in my career, um, you know, it, I've been through it now, so I have an idea of how to navigate and how to build that reputation, but it's tremendously difficult. And even working with the individual players is hard because a lot of players have had issues with, with, you know, females in the past. And so they're super, super private and they don't want any pictures and they don't want, you know, to get in trouble with their wives or girlfriends mm. or whatever, just because of their own previous behavior. And because of the way that I look and because of the fact I'm a female, they communicate with me and, and act differently with me than if I was a, a male. And that's always a big challenge. Um, is it an insurmountable problem that? I mean, it can't be because you're doing well, but I mean, how, how big a problem is it? Because you, you, I guess the key to that, those kind of relationships are honesty and that you feel yeah. relaxed with each other, particularly the athlete feels relaxed with whoever's representing him. So yeah, how do you get around that? Well, it just takes time to um, to build and to develop a relationship and, and to be like, listen, I'm a professional. I've been doing this for a long time. I completely understand your concerns. And, um, you know, a lot of times I'll say, look, I want I want to meet your wife. I want to meet your girlfriends like I'm here to help them as well. The athlete and whoever he is with, that's his family. So the best way to deal with that is to, you know, hey, look, let them meet me and realize that I'm not a threat. Like I'm going to help the female as well as the male, you know, my job is to add value to my clients' lives. So that's probably the easiest way to get around it. And, um, you know, if that doesn't happen, it's, it's just a matter of being consistent. And as you said, being honest and communicating. And I, I always respect, you know, the player's perspective. And at some point when they do begin to realize, okay, she is trustworthy. I can, you know, I don't have to worry about any drama coming out or, you know, she's actually very helpful to me in terms of if I, if the man has issues with a female, like I can actually help deal with that situation. But all of that really just comes in, in time and developing the relationship with, with the player and really building that trust. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and I guess um, that's the key 
you know, to, to so much, the, the operative word, isn't it? It's all about, all about trust. And in, in, by extension, does that mean that the way that you tend to get clients is overwhelmingly by word of mouth? Do you ever have to pitch to represent somebody? How does the, the process of signing on and securing a partnership with an athlete work? It happens in, in many different ways. Obviously, referrals are the easiest and my favorite way to get clients because if it's coming from a trusted source, then you kind of leapfrog several of the initial steps of having to get them to, you know, having to build the relationship and develop that trust. So referrals are my absolute favorite. Um, if it's not a referral, sometimes I will, I'll pitch a client. I will, you know, I'll see a player and I'll, I'll think, wow, you know, I can really help this player. Or, and so I'll reach out to them and then it'll either be me meeting with the player or pitching to them or they'll put me in touch with their manager or their agent and I pitch to them. Um, and sometimes players reach out to me. Um, it really just, it's all different ways that you get new clients. Um, but you're yeah. reaching out to you. That must be hard when, when it's a player that you think, I can't, I'm, I'm going to struggle <laughs> yeah. to do much with you here. How do you yeah. break that? How do you break that? Or you just, do you have to be really straight and just say, look, there's not much I could do for you. You know, I'm, I'm really straight. I've always, my personality, if you know me, I'm very straightforward and honest and I'll, I'll always speak to a player, but I'll straight up say, listen, this isn't my space. I, I don't think there's much I can do to help you or, I'll try to refer them to someone that I think might be able to help them. Um, you know, it's it's just it's never easy. And I don't like to do that. But at the end of the day, our time is, you know, one of the most valuable things that we have. So, yeah, if it's not worth the time on anybody's part, then I'll, I'll be very straightforward about that. <laughs> Um, Brittany, always great to catch up with you. Real pleasure. If our um, listeners want to follow you more and, and find out more uh, about you on social media, where can they head? Um, our company Instagram is at BG Sports, N-T-E-N-T-I-N-C. Um, and that's also our Twitter. My personal Instagram is just at BG Sport. And that's the same um, as Twitter as well. So those are the best ways to uh, to follow along and to reach out if um, anyone ever needs representation. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there's some great content on there. So I suggest you guys go and, and check it out. And as I said earlier on, Brittany, uh, well, she's part of the gang as far as we're concerned. So we will uh, be checking in with you soon. Uh, are you going to be out of the Super Bowl? you be in Miami, I guess. Oh, of course. That's 100%. my favorite week of the year. Yeah, we'll definitely catch up there if not before. And Vegas as well because, of course, um, Manny Kess is somebody that you work with. Yeah. Um, and Manny was on the show over the summer, I think it was, and uh, we were talking about the draft in Vegas. So that is something I know that uh, Ollie and, and Harry on our production team very excited about the shows we're going to be doing from out there. So. You have every right to be excited. Vegas is a, a tremendous city. Cannot <laughs> wait. We're going to be out there. For, I think we need at least three weeks out there, and, and I think probably a, a, a trip to you know in terms of scoping stuff out and preparation. So yeah, we uh, <laughs> we got it all locked in. Brittany, great to chat to you. Uh, look after yourself, and, and we'll catch up very soon. Thank you so much for having me. Always great to, to chat with you guys. Wow, what a guest. What a show. Thanks to Brittany. Thanks to Iron Mike. Thanks to Ben Isaacs. Crack and work from all three of them. We're back this Friday. Paul Nicholson in the ESPN house. One of the great darts players of the last 20 years. A massive Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I've worked with Nico quite a lot over the years. He loves his football. Looking forward to his take on whether he thinks the Steelers are still alive and kicking as far as the playoff race is concerned. He's at ESPN HQ on Friday. Don't forget, get stuck in with the Daily Fantasy Show League, fantasy.paddypower.com forward slash league forward slash natcoombs.com. 
Or if it's easier, just head over to our social media channels, click the link. It's in our biogs. It's all over social media. You'll be taken to the show league, free to enter, cash prizes to be won. What is not to love? We'll see you Friday. Bye for now. Podcast Network.